0: This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 331.
1: some people are victims and they're just curling up and other people are saying, look, I didn't ask for COVID-19. I don't want to be here, but I'm not going to sit around and wait for someone to help me. I'm going to go out and make it happen.
0: Hi, and welcome to the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth. It's the Read to Lead podcast. My name is Jeff and I'm here because I believe that if you want to achieve true success in your business and in your life, then intentional and consistent reading is a must. Each week, you and I are joined by an author to chat about their latest book and their unique insights on things like personal and professional development, leadership, productivity, career, business, marketing, sales, entrepreneurship, and more. Today, we get to learn from former Disney executive Dan Cockrell, author of the book, How's the Culture in Your Kingdom? lessons from a Disney leadership journey. I'll ask Dan to share what he's learned about how to stop letting others define your goals and what success looks like, the importance of self leadership to team and organizational leadership, how and why to base employee training not on what your business requires, but on what the customer expects, and lots more. As I have interviewed over 330 people these last seven years, I've noticed a trend, a pattern. There are a handful of things that All of these successful people Have in common. And as I've studied these traits, I've come to realize that for anyone who wants to realize their biggest dreams and highest priorities, adopting these traits is going to exponentially increase the likelihood that that's going to happen. I love sharing about these topics in person and online via Zoom and other tools. In fact, I'm doing that very thing tonight for a group of folks in Australia. I'd love to do that for your group, whether it's that topic or others you think I might be a good fit for. If you'd like to find out more about what that process looks like, please reach out to me, Jeff, at readtoleadpodcast.com. Be happy to talk to you. That's Jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com. Dan Cockrell is the former vice president of Disney's Magic Kingdom after starting there early in his career as a parking attendant i believe right out of college Uh, over a 26 year career with disney he's held about 19 different jobs and needless to say he brings a wealth of leadership experience and knowledge to our conversation today helping us apply lessons learned at disney to our own organization's culture we'll be diving into his new book called how's the culture in your kingdom lessons from a disney leadership journey it's a pleasure dan welcome to the read to lead podcast
1: Jeff, thanks so much for having me today. I really appreciate the opportunity.
0: About five years ago, thereabouts, uh, I interviewed a guy by the name of Lee Cockrell. You don't happen to be related to him.
1: He's a good man. <laughs> yeah, that's my pop.
0: <laughs> it was because of your dad that I ditched digital tools for productivity and calendar and all that and finally went back to a, an analog planner and have been using an analog planner ever since. And I'm much more productive than I was back then. And I have your dad to thank.
1: Yeah. He, funny, I took his time management course when I was 16 years old and uh, he discovered it and his whole career took off. And a, a lot of what he did took off when he would really realized how much prioritizing and managing your time well, you know, is involved with that. And I was, like I said, I've been, I had a planner for many years. I am a digital guy, mm-hmm. but I I follow a lot of how he's thought about things. And the biggest thing I think, and you've seen that with that is just prioritizing and following through. If in life, if you can do those two things, you're mm. 90% there.
0: Well, Dan says that, that one of the most valuable lessons that he learned in his time with, with Disney is that uh, self-leadership is paramount to team or uh, organizational leadership. Dan, I want to ask you, why does this lesson to you stand out above all the rest uh, that you learned over the years?
1: Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. It's probably one of the uh, biggest secrets that's right in front of everybody every day <laughs> is this importance. And I think because it's so obvious, people don't think it's as important as it is. I just found when I was working in France at one point, I remember uh, calling, uh, I called my parents and you know, I'm an only child. So I have really good access to advice pretty quickly. They have mm-hmm. nothing else to worry about. So <laughs> I called them one day. I said, look, things are not going well. And they said, What's well, what's happening? I said, well, you know, I'm working at, at Disney. I'm playing rugby in France, and, um, which is, I'm, I'm enjoying that. And, you know, I'm married and we just have our first son. And I said, Valerie is really asking me to do much more than I feel like I can get involved in doing. And work is not going really well. And the rugby team's giving me a hard time because I'm not focused there. And uh, my dad said, well, why don't you quit your job? I said, well, I can't quit my job. I'm working at Disney. Well, why don't you get rid of your wife and your, your son? (laughs) That's not an option. He goes, well, what else do you want to do? I'm like, uh, then I wouldn't quit playing rugby the next day (laughs) and everything Mm -hmm. got good again. So this idea that, uh, you know, we can do everything. We can stretch ourselves and be, you know, be there for everybody. It's just not true. I think a lot of this is about sacrifice and it's about honing in on ourselves because, Reality is, if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of your family, you can't take care of your job, Um, you're just not fit to lead. And uh, there's some obvious examples um, on, you know, you hear this one about on an airplane when you get the safety spiel and they say if the oxygen mask comes down, you know, it's a classic, who do you put on first? you put it on yourself because if you don't put it on yourself and you're helping other people if you pass out the people who can't help themselves are now going to suffer you're 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 not you're going to be gone and no one's going to be able to be taken care of and so just this idea of being physically fit, um, you know, hydrating, eating right, being organized, being able to manage stress, all the things I think that we have the most control over, we should really take advantage of that and, and put ourselves in the best situation to perform uh, like I said, with our family or at work. And it's e- it's easy to not do because it's hard. And uh, my wife has a great expression I love repeating. Don't mistake things that are uh, simple for easy. Mm-hmm. And you know, taking care of yourself, very simple concept, actually doing it, very hard to do because we're pulled many different ways. We have many different responsibilities and it's easy to sacrifice ourselves for other things. But long term, I think it does more damage than good.
0: When I was young, uh, Dan, uh, coming out of high school, going into college, I really, at that point, didn't quite know what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. I had some talents um, in a particular area, but was guilty of something that you say in the book you find too many people are also guilty of, and that's allowing others to define what their goals should be and what success should look like. That, that certainly defines me when I was at that young, impressionable age. I just thought everybody else knows better than me what my goals uh, should look like. They're smarter than me. Why do you think so many people fall into that trap rather than defining it for themselves?
1: Well, to your point, I think we're all like that when we're kids. When I say all, I always tell my kids, "Be careful of superlatives. Never say all or none." But uh, I think, um, yeah, you know, our our parents set expectations for us, and I think sometimes they don't even realize that they're leading you down a path or you're perceiving expectations they have of you. And a lot of times people of authority, you want to deliver to them. You want to make them, you're trying to get their approval. And so you're open and impressionable. And so I think it's easy when they say, Hey, you know, in passing, you're really good with uh, science. You should be a doctor. And you know, some kids are like, okay, my parents want me to be a doctor and you move on from there as opposed to being very clear Hey, you know what? These are the skills you have, and there's lots of careers out there. But you really should try to you know, use these skills, and we've we've really tried to do that with our kids because you know, being at Disney, we really realize if you let people decide their own path, they are going to find jobs they're passionate about. They're going to do it better, and you should let people give them that that leeway. So I think it's it's natural. Authority figures put expectations on us. Um, You know, there's a lot of parents out there. They're like, Yeah, I am going to tell my kids what they need to do because they don't know what they were going to do. And I'm going to lead them down that path so they can have a life and have a big house and have enough money and that kind of thing. And there's a practical side to that. But um, there is a point where you just got to start realizing, you know what, there's only one person living your life and it's you. And no matter what the expectations of people are around you, you have to figure out what your decisions are gonna be. And every time I coach somebody, I have very strong opinions on what I think about things, but I, I, I remind them, I'm one person. You should be talking to lots of different people to get perspectives. And once you have all those perspectives, think about the people you trusted the most and you are gonna make a decision about what you're gonna do. And you're not gonna make everyone happy. Your decision isn't right or wrong, but it's your decision. And it's, it's going to lead you down the, the whatever path you're going to go down. Run your own race. And I'll tell you, I dealt with that for years. And I know our kids do that. Sometimes we have to reassure them. Look, guys, we don't have any expectations for you except to be happy in life. And by the way, to be happy in life, you usually have to really work really hard and become disciplined. So <laughs> there's, no, there's no free ride. We don't have a profession you should be doing. We're not going to judge you on what you do. Go out and do something that you're going to live a, a, a fulfilled life. And if you if people know that, then I think they're going to be in a great place.
0: So it's it's discipline now, regret later, you, you, you decide.
1: Right. Well, something we told our kids in school, they said, "Why?" always honest us about our homework in this and it's like, gosh, let us live our lives. I said, look, we have no expectations for you except to be happy. But you're making decisions now you don't realize is impacting the future. Mm. So we are going to stay on you to a point where you're going to reap the benefits or you know um, suffer the consequences of what happened till now. But you don't know enough yet, so we're not telling you what to do. We just want you to have options later. And later, you you'll have the you'll make those
0: choices. Well, we talked about leading self a moment ago. Uh, Dan divides the book into four sections. Leading self is first, uh, no surprise there. Leading teams, leading an organization, leading change. Among the leading self chapters, there or chapters on uh, moral fitness, mental fitness, planning skills. The very first chapter is physical well-being. What prompted you to begin the entire book with a chapter, Dan, on physical well-being?
1: It would have been easy to put that at the end of the book. And uh, people who read it said they were very surprised that that was at the beginning because it's a business book. And uh, they didn't expect to see that. Hmm. And uh, we, we tool around with it. We said, you know what? That may be a turnoff for people. My, the, 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 the goal of the book wasn't to become a sort of quote-unquote self-help. It was really something people could use to do practical things better. Um, but we, we kept, we sort of stayed to our our, our, our values, I guess I'd say. And if that really was the most important thing in leadership was to lead yourself first, we had to make sure that it was uh, at the beginning. And physical well-being is one of the most basic things. What I found working at Disney, and I think a lot of these jobs that people are in, they're very uh, demanding, physically and mentally, And, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of athletics and I don't think people think about themselves as athletes. But when you're out working and you're walking and you're you're dealing with things, going up and down stairs and working in operation and solving problems every day and dealing with all the emails and everything comes at you, we don't have the dangers we used to have. And you you don't have to be physically fit to survive to get through the day. It's a much safer world today. But um, humans were developed to be active And when you're active, you perform at a much higher level.
0: Mm. What would be some of your personal practices, Dan, uh, for maintaining uh, mental fitness? What have you found works well over the years?
1: Yeah. So a big part of my mental fitness also has to do with my physical fitness. So the Mm. way I kind of get rid of stress is through exercise. Um, So um, if I could run or swim, Uh, When I was working at Disney, you know, time is of the essence and you didn't have a lot of time. So I was a morning guy and I'd get up really early, go to the Y, take a run, take a swim. And after that, I was ready to deal with the day. Once you've kind of put yourself physically through your paces, it's much easier to deal with things. Emotional intelligence is a great topic. We talk a lot about uh, self-awareness. Are you self-aware? And, you know, as always, the irony about self-awareness is people who aren't self-aware don't know it. You know why? They're not (laughs) self-aware. So, you know, there's some, uh, I think there's some tactics I've learned over time. One is uh, I've read about labeling your emotions. You know, when you're having a emotional reaction to something you see or someone you're interacting with or a conversation you're having, are you able to have, I like to call it an out-of-body experience (laughs) and look at yourself from a, a different perspective and say, okay, you're reacting right now. Why is it you're reacting What is it about this situation that's making you react emotionally? And now that you recognize that, how are you going to respond and pick your response? Because when you react, you're not not doing that by choice. You're letting your emotions take over. When you're responding, you're choosing your response. And your response may be really aggressive, but at least you're in charge of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Meditation is another one. And I used to think meditation was like sort of this kind of groovy thing that people did it's a you know your 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 brain is a muscle and the more you can train your brain on how to focus and and separate your thoughts and not get distracted you can start to get control of how you you deal with things and it's hard I'll tell you meditation is not about Thinking of nothing. It's about observing your thoughts objectively. And uh, there's um, some great apps out there. But one talks about pretend you're sitting on the side of the road in the desert, and you're just watching your thoughts go down and pass you on the highway. Don't get into the thoughts. Don't go down on the highway and get caught up in them. Just observe them and let them go by. And I'm up to about seven seconds now, being able to do that <laughs> <laughs> before I'm, I've i grabbed on to something. I'm like, why does that? You know, why did that person say that? How am I going to fix that? So um, that that quiet time, I think, is very helpful. Uh, The other big concept uh, I love is uh, mindset. Um, There's a great book by Carol Dweck on mindset. That's a classic. And it just talks about um, people with growth mindsets and fixed mindsets. And if you can recognize what kind of mindset you have and how to um, uh, become more of a growth mindset person, better things happen when you're open minded, When you see things in a positive light, when you're optimistic, you become a better problem solver. Things are less likely to get you down and demotivate you. And once again, all that's done, you can do it yourself just by managing your own mind. Mm.
0: I always like it when a business book author includes a sort of a quick reference type summary at the end of each chapter that you can quickly go to and remind yourself, you know, the highlights, the high points, key insights, main ideas from that chapter. And Dan does that with this book. He calls it fast track to results at the end of each chapter. And at the end of the um, moral fitness chapter, Dan, you mentioned some questions we should consider asking ourselves if we want to uh, better and more clearly define our values what what would be some of those questions
1: the the big one that i i always challenge people with is well first of all what are your values that's always a good one to start with <laughs> um and, and when people say well i don't know what do you mean i'm like well you can go to the link in the book or you can google it just say list of values and and <laughs> look through look through the catalog but what, what are your values? What what do you want to be known for? And then once you decide what you want your values to be, um, what are you actually doing about them? And one of the questions that we ask when we do workshops is, okay, what are your values? Okay, how do people know those are your values? Because people can't read your mind. The only way they can know if they're their, your values or not is if you talk about them and is if you demonstrate them. And I see in the world today, people talk a lot about values, but they're not necessarily demonstrating those values. Mm. So I, I like this idea of you're going to do what you believe in. You know, talk is cheap and being passionate is cheap. You got to do it. So um, one of the things, for example, one of my uh, values when I was working at Disney is I thought one I really valued being accessible and approachable. I thought that was important in leadership because when you're accessible and approachable, you're open to hear what the problems are. You can hear what's going on. You can support people. You can, ha- you can use your authority to fix things. And so I looked at my calendar and everything I did was about being accessible and approachable. My assistant and I had an agreement. She was not the gatekeeper. She was there to enable people to talk to me and interact yeah. with me. And she had to make sure they felt welcome. I had a confidential voicemail number. Anyone at the Magic Kingdom could call me uh, confidentially and leave me a message. And if they wanted me to call them back, I'd call them back. I went to the cafeteria every day and had lunch. I scheduled time to walk the park every day just like it was a meeting. So I had a laundry list of things I actually planned and did because accessibility and approachability is important to me. And by um, demonstrating those and actually putting time towards those, I could prove they're important. So I think that that connection is important. You have Mm -hmm. to link what you believe in to what you do. And the less of a gap there is, the more, I think, in line you are with who you actually are.
0: Dan, with that confidential number that anyone could reach you at, what did you do to ensure your... Uh, direct reports who may have had those people answering to them. How did you ensure that they didn't feel like you were giving those that answered to them a way around them?
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's a great I'll tell you, it's um, it's a great question. And it's it's a classic in big organizations. Well, big and small, uh, there's the chain of command. You don't talk to your boss's boss. You talk to me. I talk to them. That's how it works. Mm. And I didn't believe in that. I said, look, we all have to be communicating. It's a big, complicated place. And first of all, I had to let my my direct reports know my intent. I said, my intent is not to find out things you're not telling me that are broken in your operation and try to penalize you for those. My intent is to use my authority, my title. There's only one vice president of the Magic Kingdom to help people encourage them. They're not going to tell you everything, but I want them to tell one of us. I I love them to tell us before they tell Channel 9 News or the Orlando (laughs) Sentinel or or Snapchat or Facebook or Twitter or whatever social platform it is. So the big thing for me was – Hey, guys, I'm another pair of eyes and ears here to help us make this place better. And I I clearly put on those confidential voicemails. You know, I would recommend you go to your leader first to try to take care of what you need to take care of. But if you feel like you cannot do that or you've already tried and you don't know you don't have a path, then please, by all means, give me a call. And, uh, about probably 80% of the time I'd call the person back and sometimes I'd give them, well, I'd always call them back, but I'd, i most of the time I'd give them advice on how to solve the problem they were calling me about. Mm. It's easy to say, well, I'm the vice president. I want to be the hero. I didn't want to be the hero because people don't want someone solving problems for them. They want to solve their own problems. And so when they called me and said, well, you know, my my boss doesn't like me and um, they're not being fair. I said, well, have you brought it up with them? Well, no. Well, why would you call me <laughs> and not <go laughs> talk to them? Well, because I don't know how they're going to react. I said, look, go talk to them. I, I really do think it's a misunderstanding. It may not be, but I think it is. Go work it out with them. And if they're not interested in working with you or you don't think it's being resolved, give me a call back. And I'll, you know, I'll get involved and help you out. Mm. And most of the time they call me back and say, dad, you're right. I got the courage to talk to them. It was a misunderstanding or yep, they were not teaching me, but I told them this is what I was experiencing and they've changed. And then every once in a while they'd say, I talked to them and they told me to go away. I said, well, okay, I'll get involved now. (laughs) So. There's still an accountability there, but yeah, it's um it's a very um you have to be careful when you're making that yourself that accessible and make sure you don't alienate the your team because I wasn't there to solve all the problems. But I certainly yeah. wanted to make sure there was in a in a place that has twelve thousand employees, there's always gonna be something to fix. And I wanna make sure that there's a direct line to someone who can get involved and kind of cut through all the bureaucracy and make things happen.
0: Well, I think the, the key lesson there, as uh, I listen to you respond to that question, is is that approachability and, and better they come to you than you know, social media or the local news with, with some yeah. sort of problem that hasn't been properly addressed. Well, if you don't plan the life you want, you will live the life you get. That's a quote that begins chapter four of Dan's book. Dan, who is it that taught you that concept and how have you managed to apply it to your life?
1: Yeah, that's Lee Cockrell, my dad. And he's uh, he has said that quote many times. I think a lot of it comes back to the beginning of our conversation around time management. Mm. People become victims. They're out of control. They feel like they're letting everyone else control their time, and they're just reacting to everyone else's priorities. And if you take that approach and just let life kind of herd you along, you're going to end up doing whatever life takes you. And you're not, and it's kind of, think about a rudder on a boat. If you don't have a rudder, you're just, the, the wind and the, the, and the, uh, the currents are going to push you where they want to push you. And you got to get a rudder and you have to decide, I know where I want to be and I know what I want to do. And you have to make contributions to that. And I think a lot of people, and I was this way, sometimes they say, well, look, I got so much going on right now, I'm not in control, and I'm just trying to keep my head above water. Mm. And in a few months, I'll really go after this. But right now, I just got to be in battle mode and and deal with everything. I got my kids, I'm working, I'm just trying to get things checked off my to-do list every day, much less control what's happening. But over time, when you can start to tackle small things, and take control over small things, it really gives you a changed mindset and it makes you feel like more in control that, you know what? I had a win today. I I, I wanted to take control of that and I did it. I just heard a, a speech by an admiral. He said, you know what the most, well, I'll ask you this. What's the what's the most important thing you should do after you get up in the morning?
0: Uh, I would say make your bed.
1: You're exactly right. You make your bed. <laughs> I, want, I want to be organized. I want to have a sense of control. I get up, I make my bed. I've, I've now done something. I took control over a situation. And people laugh. They're like, well, What the situation? I'm like, Well, ha- not having the discipline to make your bed. Because those little behaviors lead to other behaviors. And after a while, you start saying, You know what? I'm going to live my life with intent. And I, if I want to be fit, I'm not just going to make excuses every day. I'm going to find time to do that. And if I don't find a time to do that, then I should be ready to not have a good physical fitness. And there's going to be a consequence to that. But uh, you can't be a victim. And I don't care what situation you're in. There's there's always a million excuses why you can't do what you want to do. But uh, at the end of the day, it's your life. And you'll either decide that you're going to go after things. And and it, and once again, it's a dilemma. It's it's not, this is not easy. There is no right solution but you just got to take all the things in your life, prioritize them, and decide that you you are going to take control of the situation and not be a victim. I'm seeing that during this COVID-19 thing. Mm. I see some managers at Disney. They're calling me, and they're like, I'm at home. I didn't get my unemployment check yet, and life is terrible. I don't want to are going back. And I have other people calling me saying, I'm at home. I didn't get my unemployment check, but I decided to make hair wraps. I, I, I learned how to sew. I'm putting them on Etsy. The first week I sold one, and now I sold five, and I think it's the business is picking up. Other people are saying, I'm volunteering. I, can't, I don't know what to do right now, so I'm going to help others. It's making me feel better. Mm. So it comes back to that mindset. Some people are victims, and they're just curling up, and other people are saying, look, I didn't ask for COVID-19. I don't want to be here, but I'm not going to sit around and wait for someone to help me. I'm going to go out and make it happen. My 88-year-old mother-in-law in France, she's sewing masks every day and sending them out to nurses and sharing them with people. She mailed us a big box of them. Mm. She's like, you know what? I'm going to contribute. I was in World War II, so COVID-19, hold my beer. (laughs) 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 I can handle this. And so it's incredible. And so you know, an 88-year-old woman should not be in the position to be able to help anyone necessarily. Mm. She said, I don't care. I'm going to go do it because I can. So it's uh, it's mindset.
0: I began uh, 2020 uh, with a plan to do more in-person workshops and more public speaking. Uh, and then March happened, but uh, I have managed to to turn a lot of that into virtual speaking. I've got uh, three virtual speaking gigs lined up here in just the next few weeks, and I've seen a couple other folks manage to make that transition while, like you said, others are going, what am I supposed to do? I can't, I can't travel and, 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 and earn a living speaking anymore. I think it's still possible. You just have to reframe the the, the issue. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, what are some ways you've managed to build uh, strong relationships with both your direct reports and your various uh, bosses over the years? You've hinted at some of these, but I'd love to know maybe some more of the nitty gritty uh, things that you've done to just really build strong relationships with everybody that, that you come in contact with.
1: Sure. Once again, I think this is intent relationships, communication. You know, These are all these intangible things that mm. people have trouble defining and <laughs> And as as far as I'm concerned, they're processes just like anything else. And you can demonstrate these behaviors. So I think the first thing when it comes to relationships is, and I I happen to um, work in a place that relationships were important. And I happen to pick a job, a place where I have a natural passion for relationships. Mm. That's what I do. I love doing that. So sometimes when you get a job, the most important thing you can do is get a job in the right place. that aligns with who Mm -hmm. you are. And when you can do that, everything gets easier. Mm. Um, But I've learned over time and this is part of it is being, you know, the way I was raised, part of it is it's just good business, part of it's what I've learned about mindset and you know door opening doors, but I've come to conclude every single person that I meet and establish a relationship with is a potential way to make my life better. I've learned this whole idea, you give, you give, you give and it all comes back to you tenfold later on. And uh, some people are more calculating. Well, Why should I meet that person? They only do this, or why should I do that? I've just learned over time you have to respect people on a basic level, and you know if you have a title or a certain place in an organization, that doesn't mean anything except that that's your job in that company, mm. and we all get caught up in judging who people are according to their station in life, and I think it's a very dangerous thing to do. So my direct reports, whenever I start working with a new team, I have lunch with them one on one for a couple of hours, and we talk about, all right, let's start. Uh, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Where have you worked before? Tell me about your parents tell me about your family, tell about what you do on weekends. And and so it's all this about let's learn about who you are. Now, some people are, you know, when I was working in France, you know, people are you know, like, well, that's none of your business. You know, every <laughs> culture is different also. And people are different. And so every one of my direct reports had different levels of how much they were willing to share with me. Mm-hmm. Some people just naturally don't share as much uh, for whatever reason. It's not up to you to pry and go, you have to tell me this so we could have a good relationship. Mm-hmm. You sort of, you, you kind of figure it out and, and you figure out what motivates people. You start to get in and understand kind of how they think about things. Uh, my assistant, uh, Kathleen, for 16 years you know, her daughter and our oldest son were the same age, so we made lots of connections there. You know, I'd come into work. Hey, I was a weekend. I'm like, good. You know, my son almost got arrested by stealing a road sign, but you know, <laughs> we avoided it. How are you? So sometimes that authenticity and that vulnerability is important, also. So um, that was important piece. I would I would make sure I took time to have sort of the icebreaker when I talk to my people because a lot of businesses you get in a meeting. All right, everyone, let's go through this list of what's due today. So wait a second, how about you ask everyone how their weekend was? Or uh, I had an agenda item in my staff meetings called Exceptional Moments. I kicked off every meeting with an exceptional moment. Mm -hmm. We took five minutes. If you have had an exceptional moment in your personal, professional life, let's share it. Some people would say, well, uh, we hit 100% of our safety uh, target at this restaurant. And it was the first time we've done it. Everyone would clap. That's great. Mm -hmm. My son just got his driver's license. That's fantastic. So just take time to celebrate people individually my boss, uh, similarly, I'd say, okay, I'd like them to adjust to who I am, but I'm going to assume they're not. And so I'm going to figure out what their priorities are, how much information they want. Um, I'm going to become in their mind, like the low maintenance, great leader. So if someone loved detail, I would give them tons of detail. If they did, if they wanted high level, I'd learn that. And so every boss I had, I had to readjust how I was working because I was trying to, you know, emulate what they needed and where they saw the value. And sometimes I had bosses who were great and they said, look, I'll meet you halfway, but what do you need from me? And that's when you really love leaders. You know, they're like, (laughs) I am who I am. Here's how I operate. But I also want to understand how to make you best at what you do. And when you can meet halfway, you have a great relationship with them. Um, But uh, I think what I've always told people, that's one of the most important relationships you have, your boss. They're deciding your livelihood. They're deciding your future. And so you got to connect with them, figure out what their priorities are, make their life easier by performing well, and uh, it'll go well.
0: I've read my share certainly of books on culture, Dan, uh, and I think a lot of people would agree that uh, if you want to learn about culture, you could do a lot worse than learning from someone who worked at Disney for twenty six years. What is your time uh, at Disney taught you specifically about uh, selecting and training new talent? I, I like how you view training as as an investment, not an expense, for example.
1: Yeah, absolutely. so we um we work closely. Uh, disney for many years with a gallup organization and i had the opportunity to go to lincoln nebraska back in 1997 when i had been with a company maybe seven years six years and went through their training um, i'm a big fan of strength finders 2.0 mm. and uh, the assessments they do and they talk about the fact that very openly that um Talent selection is the most important thing in leadership, because if you don't get the right person, it doesn't matter how much you pay them, how much you motivate them, what kind of environment you create for them. They're just not going to be able to do the job. And I think a lot of people overlook that very uh, simple tenant. So over time, I just found um, if I had the right people on my team, the least important thing was the skill set they had. But it was more about their attitude. Uh, if they had the right kind of attitude, that they were willing to overcome obstacles they were always seeing a better way to do it. When uh, a, a really tough situation came, they k- kind of came in with a can-do attitude. We're going to figure this out. We're going to overcome this. When I had those people working for me, anything was possible because it's just they just added this energy level that you wanted to be with them all the time. And um, what I found is... In my later years, when I started getting more responsibility, it gets to a point where you cannot be omnipresent and you cannot Mm -hmm. know everything that's happening. And so you start to have to, by just necessity, trust other people's judgment and trust they're spending their time in the right places um, and trust that you have the right people on your team. Because, you know, the, the Magic Kingdom operated 365 days a year, 15, 16 hours a day, 20 million people visiting. You cannot, micromanage that environment. You have to get the right people in and then let them do what they do and be comfortable that their decisions, because you're on the hook, you're the captain of the ship. Mm. Um, And every day they're loading people in attractions or cooking food. And you're just, you're hoping you hired all the right people that understand how uh, serious their responsibility is to take care of other people. So um, I, I like to say that um, I controlled nothing at Disney. I influenced everything because mm. you don't control people. People decide if they want to be great or how good they want to be on their own. Um, you can only have so many policies in place and so many accountabilities before you just got to trust that they're going to do the right things. And uh, it, the sooner you learn that, the better. So that that talent selection is, uh, is, is key.
0: Well, sticking with the, the training aspect for just a second, Dan, talk a bit about how you committed to basing training on the experience the customer expects and not necessarily what the operation requires. I found that uh, particular section of the book helpful.
1: It's uh, it's funny how we do that in a lot of companies. You know, at, at Disney, we have traditions. So we, you when the first day of work, you spend a whole day at Disney University learning about creating magic and creating happiness and that the... the uh, The the traditions and heritage of our company and the responsibility of our reputation and our brand. And then you bring people in the operation and you go, okay, here's the button you hit for coffee and here's how to take the money. And, And then all you do is talk about tactical things. And the fact that you have people have to have both. They need to know how to do the job. They have to have competencies to do the job. But uh, the way we looked at it, Disney, we said, look, when you come in here, you're going to have two different levels here, purpose and role. Your role is going to be different. You load people on Pirates of the Caribbean. You park cars. You're the vice president. You're an accountant. But our purpose is all the same. It's to make sure every guest has the best vacation they ever had. So when you train people, you have to do the tactical how do you do this job safely? How do you do it accurately? How do you do it efficiently? But then you have to layer on top of that. Don't forget why you're here, mm. and it's because you're uh, giving people a purpose. And uh, you have to look at it from the, the your customers' point of view. Um, a lot of times, companies we're so good at what we do, we can make things so efficient, we get to the point where super efficient and the guest hates our service because we're not looking at it from their point of view. So you have to have a very empathetic standpoint when you're in the service industry and hospitality or if you're in any business. you got to see it from your customer's point of view because you could say, you know, what? we trained everyone to do this process the right way and we got 100% on it. Well, okay, that's good, but it's the wrong process because the guest doesn't want to, that process. Uh, I, I kind of make jokes about it. I'd be in meetings sometimes and we'd all agree. If all these guests weren't coming in this park every day, this place would be much smoother running. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, it caused so many issues. They don't read our signs and they don't do <laughs> what we think they're going to do. Like, hey guys, that's why we're here because they keep coming. So don't forget that.
0: Yeah, one of the interesting parts I remember reading about was a question on your survey that asks visitors if, if a situation they experienced uh, if the cast member was friendly. And, and helpful. And there was a time where you were getting sort of some some dings on that. And someone who reported to you, I think, said, do you do you, do you think those are the same thing, friendly and helpful? Those are two completely different things. And when you realized that you were able to make the, the necessary uh, change. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We separated the questions. And what we realized was, boy, we're extremely friendly And we are not helpful at all because we weren't giving we weren't giving our employees the tools they needed to answer the guest questions. And it's like, you know, I can smile all day long and tell you, ask you how your your vacation is. And when I say, well, where can I find this T-shirt in a medium? Well, I don't know that. But how's your vacation? You know, it's like, well, no, now you got to do something. Mm. You're very friendly. But if you can't be helpful also, then we're not having a great experience here. So, yeah, you got to measure the right stuff.
0: Well, uh, in the few minutes we have left, I've got a couple questions I want to ask you uh, that aren't related to the book per se. But before I do that, anything else from the book, Dan, you want to make sure we know? I didn't dive into necessarily that final section on uh, leading change. Anything from there anything else you want to make sure we walk away with?
1: Yeah. I just think generally the way we thought about doing the book, and when I say we, my wife and I, um, her name's not on it. I think when you do the reprint, I'm adding it because she wrote <laughs> half of it and she, she really helped me get through it. But you know, the, the way we 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 came at the book and you know, the publisher told us, hey, Dan, just to remind you, thousands of books have been written on what you're writing on. There are new, new topics. So you better have some great stories because people <laughs> remember stories and Walt Disney recognized that. Storytelling is such a powerful medium. Mm. So we lead with stories. We we talk about the topic and then, you know, as you mentioned, the fast track to results after every chapter. Because I don't want just to motivate and inspire people. I want people to go make a change. And that's where the fast track to results is is in there is what can I do starting today? To be a better communicator or a better collaborator or to become more creative or to, or to be a better leader or to, to form relationships more in, in a better way. So we, we like to have a very inspirational side of the book and a very practical side also. And hopefully that came through.
0: I think it did. Uh, I certainly think it did. For you, Dan, when it comes to uh, reading, uh, reading for personal and professional growth in particular, especially if the book doesn't have those end of chapter sections like yours does, what do you do to uh, to help retain what you read or ensure that you implement something you've learned that you want to then go and, and, and try?
1: Yeah, it's very simple. I'm a big, you know, you, there's all kinds of planning tools and checklists and things we have, mm. but when I'm trying to um create a new habit, I use technology. So I'll put it on my calendar. And so when I was working at Disney for example, recognition was something I knew was important. Mm. But I knew it was something that I would overlook because I get so busy. You just forget to thank people who are doing a great job. And so uh, I would have on my calendar every week, a, a few days a week. Who have you recognized today? And I'd look at, I'm like, oh yeah, what did I do today? Okay, let me look at my calendar. Oh yeah, I was in that staff meeting. Oh, that person had a great comment. I should really let them know that I really appreciated that. I didn't tell them that after the meeting because I had to run the next meeting. But let me reach out and let that person know. You know, I want to have a really good relationship with my wife. And so my assistant, this is the un- most unromantic thing you're ever going to hear. <laughs> she randomly put on my calendar every quarter, Send Valerie flowers. You know, it'd pop up my calendar. I'd send her flowers. And of course, she'd have a friend or two come over for lunch. Where'd those come from? Oh, Dan sent them. What happened? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Maybe he's going to tell me tonight. But uh, I'd get home and she'd say, what's up with the flowers? And I'm like, I just want to let you know I love you. And so it happened. If mm. I never told her it was on my calendar because <laughs> that would have been like – but the point was she. I created a new behavior and a new habit because I was intentful about doing it. So I would just encourage you all out there. When you read a book, you read an article, you read something or you even when you see a role model, when you see someone do something and you're like, I like that. I like how they do that. Just get Siri on your your iPhone or put a little reminder and go, hey, you know what? Next week, tell your kids you love them. If you're not doing that today, it's important. Mm. And remind yourself because if you don't create a habit, you don't create a behavior, you won't it won't happen. And once again, it doesn't matter what you believe, it doesn't matter what you're passionate about. All that matters is what you do. That's how people judge you and that's how you'll be remembered. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, speaking of, of habits and recognizing people, I liked the the tip you learned from your wife about the coins in her pocket.
1: Yeah, so she, she had a great, you know, there's all these like little hacks you can do, and <laughs> she was not great at recognition either. When she was working retail at Disney, she would put uh, four quarters in her pocket. Every time she recognized someone, or complimented them, or gave them feedback in a positive way, she would move the coin from one pocket to the other pocket. At the end of the day, if she'd forgot about the quarters, she had failed, or if she'd only moved one or two quarters, coins over to her pocket. She knew she had been short by two or three. And once again, she was able to create a habit by doing that. But uh, these things just don't happen magically. There's a, definitely a process to it.
0: Well, share, if you would, books that you have been impacted by, uh, that you've encountered over the years during your career that you know, left a lasting impression on you.
1: Yeah. So, you know, anything by Gallup. Soar with Mm. your strengths, strength finders. Uh, Philip Buckingham was with Gallup. I just love how they think about leadership and how they think about productivity and getting the most out of people by leading with expectations and right fit talent and relationships and reward and recognition. An oldie but a goodie. uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective Mm. People. Great concepts in there. The concept of sharpen the saw. Always be improving. Constantly learn how to do things better. Uh, emotional bank accounts. If you read that book, you'll learn a lot about emotional banking. You're you're constantly making deposits and withdrawals with people emotionally, and that's how we kind of deal with life. And then my dad just gave me a book recently. I'm into called Range. It's a really interesting book. It, it's uh the subtitle is something I don't have in front of me. Something along the lines of how generalists can thrive in a specialized world. Mm. It's basically which I've always believed in my life and career is the more diverse experiences you have in your life. The better you'll be at dealing with new experiences, uh, the more options you're going to have career-wise, and the more interesting your life will be. So, whether it's traveling whether it's meeting new people, whether it's being open to new ideas. And that's why I had 19 jobs at Disney, because <laughs> I just knew I don't know what I want to do, but I know that if I don't get diverse experiences, I'm not going to have as many opportunities. And I kept looking at doing new things, and that led to more things. And a lot of that's paying off now that I'm, a, as I like to say, a scrappy entrepreneur <laughs> trying to get it done. I'm, I'm using all those experiences I had over the years to bring to bear now on how I run my business.
0: Wow. Well, Dan, I'll finish by asking, what's ahead for you in 2020? 2020 has been this crazy year for everybody. Um, As you look to the rest of this year, what are you looking forward to? What are you you and your team excited about that you're willing to share?
1: Yeah. So, Valerie, uh, when I talk about my team, that's my wife and I. So, it's have I have some people contracted, but we're, we like to keep it lean and mean <laughs> and very simple. So um, she just uh, designed our new website. DanCockrell.com is the website I've had for a couple of years. And she just designed CockrellConsulting.com. We've really laid it out in all the products we have, what we're doing. Uh, we've translated it into uh, Spanish, Portuguese, and French. Because mm. uh, we're doing business in some of those uh, countries and those languages. We are just – we're really kind of uh, – not only establishing that, we're getting much more into the virtual space. Uh, we have webinars. We're converting all our topics we do keynotes and workshops on into webinars, and um, you know we'll have that available moving forward. We are, you know, I, I did a podcast over the past few months. I do a one that's weekly called Come Rain or Shine. Um, but we did uh, Jody Mayberry, my partner, and I did 38 episodes during the quarantine called Lemons to Lemonade, mm-hmm. and it was just a short six, seven-minute podcast daily about. You know what? You didn't choose this moment. You didn't plan on being quarantined, but we want to keep everyone motivated. Are you making lemonade out of the lemons that's been have been dealt to you? And uh kept people motivated through that. So Valerie and I are um, like I said, we're we're making lots of contacts. To our, we wanna work we work internationally, the book is out, and we're just gonna keep growing the business from there. She's working on a book right now. A big part of the theme is gonna be how do you raise your kids and how do you lead your team and how many things are so similar there? So I think it's going that's going to be a huge success when she gets done mm. with that.
0: Well, you mentioned uh, Jody Mayberry. I'm so glad you did. Jody was responsible for introducing me to your dad and, of course, for connecting us as well. And I'm so glad that uh, he took the time uh, to do that, that we both have him in our in our camps, uh, so to speak. So thank you, Jody. <laughs> Jody knows everybody.
1: And I'll tell you, Jody and you are now at the top of my list of the best podcast voices
0: (laughs) (laughs) he does have a great voice doesn't he yes he does i love hearing him say my name he says it as as sweetly as anyone i can think of (laughs) that's right except for maybe my wife most of the time anyway uh the book again is called how's the culture in your kingdom lessons from a disney leadership journey dan cockrell thank you so much for being our guest it was a pleasure having you here and we appreciate you uh, taking time
1: thanks jeff thanks for having me and everyone be safe out there
0: I've gone ahead and created a page on my website dedicated to this episode. There you'll find links to both Dan's consulting website and his personal website, as well as the books and other links he mentioned. All of that can be found at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 331 for episode 331. To inquire about me speaking to your group or organization, whether in person or virtually, you can reach out to me directly, jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com. I look forward to hearing from you. That's also the address you can write if you have questions, comments, suggestions, or feedback for the show. Again, jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening to the Read to Lead podcast and specifically this episode. I hope you got as much value from listening as I did from interviewing and talking with Dan. Well, that's going to do it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, remember, as always, leaders read and readers lead.